Another special edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Assistant Director for Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. On this special edition, we're dropping in on a webinar from our online graduate programs in Employees We Must Trust, Understanding the Role that Technology and Analytics Plays in a Post-COVID-19 World. And before we get to that, though, as always, our reminders. If you like this podcast, you want to hear more from Albany Law School, make sure to subscribe on any of the major services or head over to our SoundCloud account. Follow us on social media to keep up to date on all the day-to-day activity here at Albany Law School. If you need coronavirus updates, go to albanylaw.edu slash coronavirus. Enough for me, though. Let's hand it over to the OGP and drop in. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Welcome to this uh, webinar from uh, Albany Law School online graduate programs team. Uh, My name is uh, Will Trevor. And uh, I'm the Assistant Dean and uh, Director of the uh, Online Programs here at Albany Law School. I'm delighted to uh, have you here today for this uh, webinar. In Employees, We Must Trust, Understanding the Role that Technology and Analytics Plays in Post-COVID-19 World with uh, Dr. Michael Moon, who I will introduce in just a moment. Next slide, please. So just a a little bit of uh, housekeeping. First of all, uh, we do have closed captioning turned on. Um, if uh, if the words are not big enough, you can go into settings and you can increase the word uh, word size if uh, if you want to do that. There will be a recording made of this, and uh, if you've registered as an attendee, which I'm sure you have because that's why you're here, uh, we will be sending out a link to that at uh, at the end of uh, the end of this event. Um, you'll note that we do have chat turned off, but we do have the Q&A section turned on. So if you have any questions for Michael during the the, the course of the webinar, if you wanna put those questions in there, uh, when we get to the end of the webinar, we will have uh, a curated number of those questions uh, addressed. And um, those that aren't answered during the webinar, um, Michael has very kindly agreed that uh, she will respond individually to those of you who have posed questions. Um, There will be a survey posted periodically uh, into the the chat box um, for you to give us your feedback. And also at the end of the webinar, when the webinar closes, uh, it will take you through to a SurveyMonkey uh, survey. We would be very grateful if you would give us whatever feedback uh, you can uh, so that we can continue offering these uh, programs and uh, also that most importantly, we can continue improving them as well. Next slide, please. Uh, this, this particular webinar is part of uh, HR in practice series. And uh, it is offered to you in um, collaboration with uh, the Capital Region Human Resource Association, the CRHRA. Uh, They are recognized by SHRM, the Society of Human Resources Management, to offer professional development credits, PDCs, uh, and that's for the various SHRM certifications. Uh, The program is also eligible for HRCI credit. I will say, however, we have applied for those credits. And I don't see that any reason why we won't get them, but it might mean that there's a little bit de- uh, of a delay after the webinar before we can actually get you 
confirmation of, uh, of those credits. But uh, HRCI and uh, SHRM credit is uh, all has been applied for and will be available for this webinar. Next slide, please. Uh, now, if you want to get involved with the CR, CRHRA, the Capital Region Human Resources Association, uh, they have uh, various ways of doing that. You can network with uh, professionals, you can subscribe to their newsletter. They do have complimentary networking sessions as well. And most importantly, coming up later this year, they will have their annual conference, which will be being held virtually this year on May the 1st. Uh, I'm sorry, May the 5th. And so if you want more information about that, please email info at crhra.org. That's info at crhra.org. Next slide, please. And uh, we launched uh, earlier this year as part of the uh, Albany Law School online graduate programs. We launched a, a graduate program in HR. Its full title is Human Resources, Law, Leadership and Policy, which gives you some indication uh, of the sort of focus of that. It is uh, an HR um, graduate program that uh, views things through a legal lens and particularly for those um, uh, HR professionals who are perhaps in that stage of the career where you're thinking about that next step into uh, a more leadership position. Uh, you know, perhaps you have your eyes on becoming a, 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 um, a, a sort of chief talent officer or, or, or that sort of position. Uh, it launched in spring 2021. It's a certificate, it's a master's, it's an LLM, and it can be completed in as little as, uh, as 12 months. It is industry focused, and most importantly for, for um, HR professionals, it's aligned with the principles of SHRM, the Society of Human Resources Management. It's meant to be flexible. It's uh, uh, fully 100% online and asynchronous, and it's been developed by HR industry professionals for HR industry professionals. If you want to learn more about it, my colleague Nicole will be posting links uh, in the chat box periodically. But give us a call on 518-390-0261. That's 518-390-0261. Or send us an email to graduateadmissions at albanylaw.edu. And we will be delighted to tell you about our new Human Resources Law Leadership and Policy Programme. Next slide, please. So uh, in April, we have our next event. This is not uh, part of the HR in Practice series, but this uh, is a very topical subject, uh, particularly in the headlines at the moment. Uh, the name of our next webinar is Cannabis Law, the Path to Legalization in New York. We've pulled together a team of uh, experts and uh, also uh, uh, attorneys and uh, uh, other folks who've been involved very much in the uh, in the development of this legislation. That um, that particular webinar uh, is going to be Wednesday, April the 14th, and the time is one o'clock till 2.30. Uh, it was previously ad uh, advertised till two, but um, because of the topicality of this, we're going to make this one through from one o'clock till 2.30. Um, link in the chat box, um, and uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be very pleased to see you there on April the 14th. Next slide, please. Now, with that, without further ado, I'm going to introduce your speaker for today. Um, her name is Dr. Michael Moon. Uh, now, Michael is a, a human uh, capital management and people analytics expert who specializes in the application of uh, social network theory and technology adoption models to help organizations 
understand the role they play in organizational and employee well-being. Now, she has over 15 years of the experience in HR and HR technology as a practitioner, researcher, analyst and consultant. She's a highly sought after speaker and conducts organizational research on a range of topics, including organizational culture, turnover, social capital, people analytics, organizational network analysis, employee engagement experience and well-being. She's authored more than 25 white papers covering a broad range of uh, HCM related topics. Uh, she earned a PhD in human capital management from Bellevue University and an MS in human resources from Suffolk University. Uh, currently teaching at uh, Columbia University and in 2019 she was named one of the top 100 HR tech influencers uh, of 2019 by uh, the Human Resource Executive magazine. Uh, so it is my pleasure to uh, introduce you to Dr. Michael Moon. Thank you so much, Will. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for taking time out of your day uh, to come hear me speak. So I'm, I hope that um, my session today will be um, informative and leave you with some thought, uh, some provoking thoughts about some of the things that uh, organizations have been facing around the globe as a result of COVID. So in today's session, uh, what I want to really focus on actually is, uh, let me step back a little bit, right? So we think about, you know, companies you know, have been feverishly trying to mobilize to address the challenges that they've been facing and continue to face as a result of COVID-19. This has resulted in new ways of working and defining worker expectations are really top of mind. And for many of these employers, having a substantial remote workforce is something new. And when it comes, and with that, our concerns over how and whether employee productivity and business performance will be impacted. Many are turning to technology to both monitor and measure employees. And this move can have detrimental consequences to trust and will ultimately, can ultimately tear a And what I really want to focus on are, you know, we've talked, I've briefly talked already, I'm going to go into more detail. What is causing this in the use of tools and technologies, which we'll talk about, uh, that positively and negatively affect employees? Uh, but more specifically, what if, you, if you're not using them correctly? I'm, I'm also going to talk uh, about some of the, the tools themselves and the, and the way that data is generated. Uh, or the insight that's generated from the use of those tools um, and different ways of us being able to, as I call it, use the data for good and not evil. Um, and then obviously the role that people analytics uh, plays in tackling some of, of the, the things that we're gonna talk about here today. Next slide, please. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what this image is here, right? We're all very familiar with it. You know, with the rest of the world, you know, we watched in disbelief a year ago, approximately, as COVID-19 pandemic took hold at the beginning of, of the year. Uh, and a third, by, by this time last year, a third of the world's population was in lockdown. During this time, though, at the same time, we've also seen the speed and scale of change continue to accelerate. 
with technological advances bringing bigger and bolder changes in shorter periods of time, serving as a catalyst forcing organizations to speed up their future of work efforts. An acceleration of an already hyper VUCA or TUNA world has been amplifying the effect of pre-existing disruptions as interruptions are becoming normalized and the pandemic has forced organizations to shift the way they think about how and where work gets done. Next slide, please. So before we dive in the poll here, um, we're pretty clear that work from home is here to stay. We're hearing a lot of different companies come out and say, yep, you know what? We've decided 100% of our people are gonna work from home. But I'd love it if you take some time here um, and uh, just to point out that that second bullet is one to 20%, but I'd love to see based on um, your organization and, and even just your own personal beliefs to say you're just a student, what percent of the workforce do you anticipate will actually be working remotely by the end of this year? We, we've, like I said, we've heard different companies come out and say, we've decided 100% go remote. Uh, we're seriously considering, um, you know, definitely not going back to where we were at before. Um, so let me give you about 30 more seconds and then we'll take a look at this. Michael, right. just, just very briefly, you've had one or two bandwidth issues um, which affected the volume. You might just want to turn off your, your camera, which might which might improve things. Okay, I will do that. All right. All right, let's go ahead and uh, the clock went up. Let's end this poll here. So it's looking like, wow, it looks like definitely more than 50 you know, between 41 and 60%. So approximately, we'll just go in the midpoint right there. 28% um, of you said that about 50% of the workforce, right? And then another 25% said, right? So if we total that up, 53, 58, wow, that's like 65%, right? That's actually more than I had anticipated based on having heard other surveys and other um, events similar to this. Um, so very, very, um, very, very interesting. So let's talk about then what are the implications of going to a much a majority work from home um, environment. So next slide, please. Okay. So I said, you know, we've seen a lot of studies. We've seen a lot of uh, of news stories come out. Right. I, I actually pulled some research from from mid May of last year. Um, and at that time, right, we can see that work from home uh, versus working from your uh, business um, on premise, right, definitely was was higher at that point. And now you know, we're learning that that's even growing even more, right. Um, at the same time, right, there are organizations that have been able to show that as a result of employees being able to work from home, they've seen increases in productivity. Um, but it's not necessarily we have to kind of look underneath. Um, we have to think about that a little bit more deeper. We're going to briefly touch on it now. We're talking much more detail on productivity measures and how we actually operationalize it in, in a later part of the presentation. But uh, one of those, uh, one study that PwC did, they actually were able to see that in the beginning of the pandemic, they definitely saw variability in performance um, increase, meaning the, the, the difference between your low and your high performer, and they measured that in terms of percentage of targets reached by a team, right? You're able to see that very increase. And then a couple later, they started to see that, that kind of, um, uh, that variability decrease, but what they were noticing that it was a lot of the, the super achieving teams that were really carrying the rest of the business. 
And eventually, you know, a month or two later after that, right, they start to see that variability. Um, the average worker or the average performer is kind of, you know, closing that gap. Right? But there's there's that possibility, right, that we've got individuals who uh, or teams that may be kind of taking up the slack from other individuals that maybe aren't as productive. And they could be individuals working from home or working not. We don't we don't have that kind of uh, insight into this particular study, but just something to think about, especially as we move into talking later about kind of negative effects of work from home. Um, you know, we, we also know that for a lot of folks, uh, being able to work from home has helped provide uh, opportunities for better work-life balance. Um, you know, being able to, I know personally for myself, I, being able to go to the doctor, not having to worry about taking off time from work. It's been more of a focus about not how many hours am I working um, necessarily, uh, but rather am I actually you know, getting the work done that needs to get done. Um, and, and also being able to remember to eat and things like that. But there's a lot of, lot of um, positive benefits for, for work-life balance. Uh, and then more autonomy. Uh, we're finding you know, that employees feel they do have a sense of being able to kind of decide how they're gonna get their work done, whether it's sitting on their laptop on the couch or whether it's logging in first thing in the morning and then taking a break in the middle of the day, um, but also uh, get more autonomy in terms of, of the, the way they go about the work that they do. And then lastly, we are also seeing um, you know, reports of organizations, and I put possibly in here, uh, but increases employee engagement or not, not seeing any decreases in engagement. Uh, de decreased voluntary turnover. And if we think about that logically, especially the turnover one, it, we're in a really uh, tumultuous time right now. And so, you know, would you really, would you, you would likely not see many people, as many people leaving your organization, you know, given the state um, that we are with this global pandemic. Um, and then we also don't really know, and we never, the kind of, the, the levers that are pulling that increased engagement, right? And, and to think about, um, we don't know how they're, it's being measured, right? We don't, every organization may have a different way, right? It could also simply be, or not simply, but it could be that employees are, are just, you know, they wanna buckle down, they wanna make sure they're doing a good job because they, they might be concerned about, you know, losing their job. So there, there are a lot of things we don't know, right? But we have seen some positive, some very positive benefits uh, to work from home. Uh, next slide, please. So now let's talk about these negative uh, effects. And if you want to go ahead and build the slide, Tom, that would be great. And um, I'm just going to uh, talk talk to folks. Um, so at the same time, you know, and I put insert the name of any video conferencing tool here because I think Zoom gets a bad rap. So I decided I'm not going to call it Zoom fatigue. I'm just going to call it insert name of video conferencing tool fatigue. Uh, a lot of research pre-existing, but obviously new research um, and bubbling to the surface as well, old research. Um, that the, the use of the, you know, constantly having to be on camera has a lot of negative effects for individuals. Um, there's the kind of this constant, and I, uh, you feel like everyone's always staring at you, right? Um, there's critical self-evaluation where you're like, oh my gosh, can you see that gray hair up there? Oh my God, I need a facelift, right? Things like that. There's also this increased because you're having to pay attention and there's and everyone's watching you at all times. And there's that pressure that you feel um, and sedentary because I am in Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom. Some of the ways in which uh, work from home is actually leading to more isolation separate 
racial exclusion, um, which led to um, you know decrease your your mental well being. Um, and then uh, burnout and exhaustion, which comes with all of that. So workplace burnout is actually defined as a psychological state of emotional exhaustion in response to chronic, inter chronic interpersonal stressors in the work, work on the job. And so the pandemic for many of us has actually put more uh, hours into our working day, right? Creating exhaustion and burnout and simultaneously exposing the stress that many of us face in trying to balance our professional and personal uh, demands, as well as increases in personal commitments as, and, and especially uh, around taking care of families, right? Um, and then lastly, and this one we're gonna spend a great deal of time talking about in the next section, um, you know, there, there was a, a Gartner study that was done um, kind of around Q2 of last year. Uh, and, and in that study, they, were, they actually saw that about 20% of respondents said they were either planning on purchasing or had already sent out RFPs for some of or technology to track and monitor remote employees. Next slide, please. This one study, but um, I don't know if you guys can still hear me. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we, you know, we 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 also started to see like if there's an image here on the left hand side. Now, I myself did a, a quick Google study. Uh, I went out and I looked at search terms, and I could see the people searching for the terms um, productivity and employee monitoring software. And for the purposes of this presentation, uh, you may see the acronym EMS or BTT, right? It's employee monitoring software or behavior tracking tools. Uh, it's really an umbrella, um, which I were. Um, you know, again, I saw increased uh, kind of spike, then it went down, and then increased again right around August. We started hearing about organizations thinking about like let, let's get get people back to work. Um, so, you know, it makes sense to a certain extent. Their leaders leadership is very worried about organizational stability and the effects of work from home on productivity and profitability. But at the same time. Uh, what we also started to see was many of these vendors actually changed the, how they marketed their products and making claims about being able to show improvements in productivity, productivity, being able to effectively monitor productivity and collaboration, um, many of them. Um, but this, well, what this has really done is actually starts to signal to employees that they can't be trusted, right? And trust is is so important with regard to so many outcomes in the organization, but especially for capital, which we're all really right now not having it. It's that those connection of reciprocity that exists between, and so this technology is actually starting to try start to erode um, some of that fabric. Next slide, please. Michael, just sorry to so interrupt again. You still continue to have a, a couple of bandwidth issues, which which are, are, um, are just cutting in every now and again. Um, can I can I recommend that you perhaps? Sorry, I've now got dogs. Would you mind perhaps turning off the smartphone or anything like that that might be using up your Wi-Fi yeah, bandwidth? Yeah, I'm going to turn that on. Yep, put that on airplane mode, and there should be no other devices um, on right now. So let's just uh, fingers crossed. 
Um, so I'm going to briefly touch on this slide, um, but these are just some of the primary uh, ways in which this software is, is working, right? So uh, predicting and flagging tools, this is when the software um, is identifying or trying to just seek, identifying when rules are being broken or perceived rule breaking, which can be helpful right, for detecting fraud. Um, but they also are used to augment uh, some of the existing biased or potential discriminatory practices in the workplace, especially as we evaluate um, patterns of behavior. Uh, biometric and health data, you know, collected through tools like wearables, like Fitbit, other fitness tracking uh, applications, uh, and biometric timekeeping systems as well. Uh, for a, one example of this might be the use of fatigue monitoring software or systems. Uh, which are actually designed to decrease accidents through the use of the wearable technology, smartphone-based tests and dash cam systems, which is very common in the trucking industry. Uh, and they can be used to monitor things such as truck driver speed, driving behavior, pulse, heart rate, and even general state of mind or alertness. Like all, all really great stuff, right? Um, as we'll talk later, the, that in, how, what you use, do with that data is, is where you, you have to be very mindful. Uh, management by, uh, sorry, I'm seeing seeing the closed caption over here, and it said chocolatier. I'm like, I didn't say chocolatier. Uh, sorry. Um, so management by algorithm. We're going to talk about kind of a negative impact of that, but that's you know uh, using an algorithm to kind of detect anomalies in in patterns and performance, um, and, and then potentially sending workers nudges. Um, remote monitoring. Uh, this is used uh, to actually manage and measure performance remotely, which is actually a big part of what we'll talk about at the end here, um, especially where people analytics can play a role. Um, but some, and sometimes that information actually is actually used to make decisions about performance or even whether or not to keep someone employed. And is definitely a, 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 a good source of passive data. Um, again, if used correctly, can add a lot of value in the organization. And then the last bucket here is time tracking, um, potentially, you know, de detecting possible wage theft. Um, this could be an, actually a positive in the sense that uh, this software might be tracking the difference between um, active versus idle time. Um, and sometimes if you've improperly decided what is active versus what is idle, you may actually be not compensating the employees appropriately. Right. So there's an opportunity here um, to just make sure the employees are paid correctly for the time um, that they put in to, to work. Next slide, please. So uh, briefly, um, in terms of what, is, what does all of this mean to the worker, right? We've talked about trust, so I won't really go there. Um, but we, we do know um, from, from prior research in this space uh, that the use of this, these types of software and tools can affect how people feel and think about their workplace. They, they actually can have been linked to increased stress, health risk, job dissatisfaction, uh, and this sense of a lack of autonomy, right? So here we are giving employees more autonomy, working from home, but now they're being monitored. And then there's this kind of perceived forced um, uh, or this perception of how, you know, what, what a good working habits are versus, um, versus bad habits. Um, it also can modify on the job behavior. Uh, we tend to, so it can actually, um, it could actually help increase productivity. We've seen research that shows that, uh, but it also can and increase pro-social behavior but it also can um, increase uh, workplace deviance behaviors, finding ways to game the system, to get around the, the technology. Uh, I read one article about a guy that uh, 
you know, I mean, he knew he was being monitored. Um, so he just put up a Google Doc, right, and walked away. And the way that the company had set it up was, hey, if you're in these, do they were tracking um, what what applications you were using. If it was open, then that meant you were working, right? Um, and then um, can also, as I said before, you know, positive impacts productivity, but also negative, right? We, we know working from home as well as the use of these tools can actually decrease creativity and innovation. So while we know uh, working from home, uh, we've seen a lot of research about it helping to increase productivity when it comes to innovation, not so much right? because there's that lack of kind of accidental connections in the workplace. Um, there, the, and, and that kind of uh, the, the, the creative discord that exists and not just from sitting in front of a camera and meeting with the same people day in and day out, but it's, it's when you actually interact with people from different teams. And then as we said, trust. Next slide, please. Now, on top of that, right, that all, how does this impact employees? But now, you know, we also know that this can have dramatic effects on employers, right? Um, so on the left-hand side, we'll talk about Barclays. Um, they had, they uh, a report came out in kind of August about them being investigated. They were using some enterprise software to study workers anonymously for 18 months. And at some point they implemented the technology, uh, they actually switched it on additional functionality that allowed managers to actually pick out individuals um, and, and, and be able to look individually at whether or not they were, uh, they, how long were they were, uh, it took them to take, finish a task, how long they were spent, uh, they spent actually away from their desks. And while GDPR uh, does leave some room for employers to monitor employees in this manner, Barclays has actually been called out for not providing proper notice of the scope of the employee surveillance or its purpose. And GDPR does require that employees note, all, all employers notify employees of surveillance that's being conducted and the reasons why they believe it is necessary. And right now they're actually uh, facing a potential $1.1 billion fine. And then on the Amazon side, I'm sure we're, we're familiar with a lot of the stories and, and, and um, um, uh, articles that are out, right? But they're, you know, this, this, the way described by one worker, a mysterious productivity metric that's powered by AI, this like kind of secrecy that's happening behind the scenes and employees being fired for not meeting their workplace quotas based on these algorithms um, that are running behind the scenes. Uh, this again goes back to that management by algorithm. Um, and in this case, right, this is we've seen increased protests of the company, it's bad publicity. There are some lawsuits from an ADA perspective um, and increased worker stress and decreased trust. Um, in fact, some of the quotes uh, that I was able to grab around how this makes the workers feel, one of them was said, they don't trust us to work unless the computer's counting. Another said, it's created this constant buzz of low grade panic and the isolation and monotony of the work left me feeling as if I was losing my mind. Um, next slide, please. All right. So to make matters worse, or if that wasn't bad enough, many of the vendors that um, are playing in this space today make these claims that the use of their software have been able to show improvements in productivity or that they can help organizations measure and understand who's collaborating with whom. But to be honest and frank, most vendors are simply not measuring things right or even the things that really matter. From the productivity standpoint, you know, we're no longer counting widgets, right? Showing up to work isn't enough, right? Many of these vendors merely are focusing on quantity of time, 
which doesn't tell the whole story. And employers end up with this false sense that they're measuring worker output, which lulls them into a sense of complacency. And then on the collaboration side, we're also um, seeing similar patterns where it's really focused on how many people, so quantity of the number of people I talk to, how many times do I meet with them? Um, and vendors are claiming they are measuring collaboration, but in reality, they're really most, mostly they're measuring communication. And communication is that exchange of information needed to achieve a better understanding and, and has the possibility of benefiting only one party, while collaboration is that exchange of information and things to actually advance the state of a collaborative product that has a collective purpose. And even though collaboration cannot happen without communication and could potentially be seen as a proxy for collaboration, you really have no way of understanding how effective the communication is simply by measuring quantity and frequency of time um, individuals spend emailing, meeting, speaking, IMing. Um, and really what they're doing is kind of measuring digital exhaust, uh, which doesn't tell you what you really need to know. Um, and so what organizations should really be doing is, is it, or also be doing, so I'm not saying we move away from quantitative measures, uh, but also thinking about emphasizing the quality of the output, right? So measuring in terms of output or outcomes, uh, potentially maybe adopting human capital financial metrics as a proxy for the measurement of productivity, where, especially where individual employee contribution cannot be easily isolated. For example, metrics like revenue per, per employee or human capital return on investment. Uh, and then on the collaboration side, again, on that quality, right? Focusing on, you know, we think about just because two people meet on a regular basis, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually, um, so there's two, two potential, right? They could be meeting on a regular basis because they're friends and they really like working together. Uh, but they might be meeting on a regular basis because maybe they just, they don't work well together. And so they keep having to meet over and over and over again. Uh, so, you know, one measure, you know, one person might say they're collaborative, but in one instance, they, what they're actually producing, they're actually, the quality of that is not actually high, right? So we have to start to think about rather than focusing on the, 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 uh, the individual level, I think for both productivity and collaboration, right? Start to look at kind of team level outputs, um, and emphasizing, um, you know, how teams are working with one another, and then looking at uh, more um, uh, output and outcome measures. Next slide. So I have uh, another poll. This is uh, the last of the polls. Um, so this poll here is uh, really just around your preferred way of working um, now and beyond. Well, when when we start to see the majority of companies say, "Okay, we're ready." Um, what would you like to see in, in, your, in your workplace, right? So we, we know some people, um, like for myself, I was working fully remote before the pandemic. I really like it, but I do like that flexibility to go into the office every once in a while. Uh, and, and especially when I need to brainstorm um, and just also to help me create those kind of social connections um, that I, I, may, I would, might not otherwise get. There are other individuals, people I've talked to said, I can't work home at all. I can't do it. Um, there's just too many distractions. I need to be in the office. Right. All right. We've got about 67%. Let's get to 75 and then I'll, I'll end the poll here. All right. It's looking like, wow, full flexibility to work anywhere, anytime. Interesting. Um, so, so, all right. Full-time remote. 
Great. All right. So that's actually very interesting. I, I, I expected to be a little bit more on the full-time remote, a little bit less uh, on the full flexibility, especially based on um, all the research I've been reading. Great. Okay. So here we go. Looks like most of you do not want to be back in the office full-time um, and you do want that flexibility. And the reason I wanted to, to, um, to actually talk about that is this next slide, we're actually gonna talk about, okay, so work from home is here to stay. We're, we're going to be using video conferencing tools, right? Um, and these behavior tracking tools or employee monitoring software, there, there are good reasons to use it, right? So um, if we're gonna use them, here are some things we need to be thinking about, right? Uh, on the left-hand side, we'll just talk really briefly about work from home. So giving employees a choice, which is why I asked that question. Right? So giving employees a choice about when they come back to the office, about how many days they work in the office. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of structure around that, uh, but really spending the time to understand what your employees need, how they feel about it is going to be incredibly crucial. And as we talk about in the last section of the presentation, that's where people analytics can really help. Um, but not only giving employees a choice about working from home, but also about being on video. Um, so, you know, that begs to say, you know, let, let's, let's avoid these kind of forced options everyone has to be on. Are there opportunities where maybe you don't need to have the video on for a call? Um, or maybe you only have a video on for a portion of the call and the rest of the time that you, you have it off. Um, you know, so do all meetings need to be on? Uh, but we also need to think about some of the um, potential, and I think I talk about this on the next slide, but we may skip over it for the um, sake of time. But also uh, in some states, right, there are wiretapping laws that we have to be aware of that actually explicitly forbid the recording without two-party consent. And even though you can say at the beginning of a presentation, just as a reminder, which you should, you're being recorded, uh, forcing that employee to participate in the video is, is not the right way to go. Um, so just be mindful that, you know, you, you don't always know where all the attendees are, right? What part of the, the country or the world they're sitting, and there are both state and federal laws around wiretapping. Um, and then the last one around that is really kind of rethinking performance evaluation. We talked about thinking about teams, right? So employees being evaluated based on team performance right now from an individual performance level may not be the right way to go because they feel disconnected from that team. So we may not we may rethink how we evaluate uh, what is performance, and it definitely shouldn't be how many hours you're sitting at the computer or how many meetings you attended. Uh, and on the employee monitoring side, uh, this again is where is actually even more important where we have some legal um, ramifications. Um, so we have to be very mindful about how we're using the software. Um, and the first two bullets here really kind of go together. Um, so disclosing, so removing that veil of secrecy first, clearly explaining. You know, what the data is going to be used for and what it will not be used for. Uh, disclosing, hands down, you have to disclose that you're doing this monitoring. That's going to get you in some companies. So what company you might gain in productivity uh, by monitoring people without telling them, potentially, you know, maybe lost in engagement and trust and also uh, potential lawsuits. Uh, just because you can monitor doesn't necessarily mean that you should. So this is where you really should establish a business purpose and outlay a plan, what the organization's goal are for the use of the software, have a legitimate business reason that for monitoring each specific activity or event, 
Um, and then don't just collect the data to collect the data, but connect, conduct analysis also on, uh, not every population may need to be monitored or monitored in the same way. So do you really need to monitor everyone? If so, uh, again, make sure that monitoring is done consistently across all members of the workforce. So that's another area where you could potentially get into trouble, where you choose to only monitor subsections or segments of the workforce, and there you may be introducing um, uh, unintentionally you know, some sort of bias right, into who you're um, monitoring. Um, next slide, I think we're gonna talk about more detail, although I think, I think I'm gonna talk about it here, uh, but this idea of using the software for evaluative purposes, more so for evaluative than for, or supportive, um, it's kind of the same thing, uh, rather than punitive. Um, and what that means is use that software in a way that might provide coaching or nudges. Uh, for example, the truck driver um, example I said earlier, you know, it's really good. Let's 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 uh, alert them if they if if it's if they, we think they might be falling asleep, or, but don't then dock them pay because they weren't fully alert on the job. Use it as a way to help promote their safety. Right. Um, ultimately, which is really is is going to benefit you know the the worker, but you know, productivity and performance of the company, um, and only use it as a piece of your performance equation if at all. Right. Use it more about helping develop as opposed to punishing, um, and definitely don't share publicly share this data at the individual level. Um, and so those are the, that's the kind of punitive supportive from the compliance and effectives. Um, yeah, you know, we've got this balance of needing to make sure people are working when they're supposed to. Are you actually in front of your computer? Um, are you, uh, or have you, have you parked uh, your cat in front of your Zoom camera? Um, which my cat does all the time. <laughs> uh, so there's your, that balance of compliance versus effectiveness. So really uh, the effectiveness side is measurement at the team level, aggregated, um, and, and to help, again, uh, improve interactions and outcomes for not the team, but individuals collectively. And then we've already talked about that balance between quantity and quality. So uh, I think on the next, the next section is where we're gonna really start to talk about people analytics, right? I said, I said there's you know, part of the title of this presentation is people analytics, um, but I haven't really talked about it. So if we go to the next slide, just do a brief introduction here. And Tom, if you wanna build this one out as well, that would be great. Um, you know, people analytics historically, or HR analytics, or talent analytics, you know, you fill in the blanks. They do have various uh, different connotations, but for, the, for purposes of today, it's kind of the umbrella term, you know, analytics about people. I mean, I, I actually define it as the application of quantitative and qualitative analysis to help make better people decisions that help draw positive, drive positive outcomes for the business. Um, so, Historically, you know, or even to, you know, we still, there's still a need for this, right? But we focus on kind of looking at data that's already happened uh, or data based on activities and transactions that have already happened. So we've been you know, doing a lot of work around what happened, when did it happen, where did it happen uh, to help us get to a place where we have more insight, right? Why did it happen? And maybe start to look at, well, how do the two things relate to one another? Um, what needs to happen, right? So what if scenarios? Right? And then moving into this more kind of forth, uh, forethought or foresight, uh, predictive kind of looking at, well, based on what we know happened in the past, you know, what might happen in the future? When might it happen? And what are the implications of that thing happening? And where we're at today is this need for people analytics also now to spend a considerable amount of their time focused on what I call now site, right? So these other things are really important 
But when we think about the amount of burnout, exhaustion, decreased mental health, uh, people that, you know, you, I mean, I've got pictures of my friends that just want to tear their hair out, right? Um, we have to stop. And, and I, I would say too that the pandemic is not the only thing that is affecting workers. There are other global crises that are affecting workers from, from around the, uh, the world. Um, and we have to really stop if we want to really focus on employee experience that in totality. We have to stop, stop now and think, what are you feeling now? What are you thinking now? And finding ways to get that data in a way and, and aggregated and analyzed and insights shared with the appropriate stakeholders so actions can be taken. Right. So if we think about, you know, a survey that that a people analytics team might send out on, you know, how are you doing in the pandemic? Are there any things that you need? Right. Um, what your level of how efficient do you think you are? Um, and you may find really interesting insight about pockets of the organization or the, or in general. Um, you know what? I I. Uh, my, my, this maybe it's a workplace where food is one of the benefits. You come in, you can have breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, you name it, right? And so you negotiate your salary based on the fact that, well, I don't have to pay for groceries. And now all of a sudden, you have, don't have access to that, right? So that gives you the opportunity to understand and then maybe possibly react, right? figure out ways to, to send food or provide uh, discounted grocery shopping. Um, so really addressing the now. Next slide, please. And in this slide, again, I kind of talk a lot about this now, um, this uh, throughout the presentation, but also we think about people analytics right in the beginning, we had to kind of stop what we were doing uh, and really just focus on more operational things to help the organization respond to the pandemic. And then when we, once we started to get a hold of, okay, where are our people? How many do we have? Um, who's gonna be home? Who's not gonna be home? Uh, we immediately started thinking about, okay, how, how and when are we gonna bring people back into the workplace? Um, and also spending some time, as I, I've shared an example already, of how are, how are they feeling? How are they doing, right? Um, and now we're at a place where we're, we're, we're starting to think about kind of what does the future look like? And what, what are we gonna have to do differently? And how might we use people analytics to help support that concept or that idea of the now site? Um, so being able to use technology to look at how people are connected and how those connections actually benefit them um, and benefit levels of um, team cohesion and, you know, different things like that. Um, and so what I want to do on the last slide is actually talk about the way in which people analytics can um, kind of compound or, or help out with some of the topics we've talked about today. And so we're just going to build all of this ahead of time. So. Um, but when we think about productivity, right, people analytics can uh, start to look at linkage analysis between, um, you know, your people-related data, right, and start to look at outcomes and output, as opposed to the amount of time that someone's spending, um, and really focus on looking at productivity kind of uh, by establishing team-level KPIs. Um, so, you know, being able to look at productivity and linkage, linkage uh, you know, between, you know, the amount of time spent potentially, um, and say percentage of targets achieved, uh, number of sprints completed on time if you're in uh, you know, an agile environment. Um, from a collaboration standpoint, 
maybe instead of looking at the number of people that I speak with or number of meetings or number of um, you know, emails, right? Maybe look at, you know, there's software that can actually, you know, do the analysis or we can pull the data ourselves to look at the ratio of collaborative time to individual time. Because one of the other negative effects uh, of COVID is that we are always in meetings and we're always um, in conversation with individuals. And some of that has to do with organizations not necessarily trusting that employees can go off on their own and work on their own. So it's a little bit of a, um, a double-edged sword. Uh, but uh, if, if we know that individuals need that that one-on-one -on -one time with themselves, right, to get a just uh, to get work done, right, but you need that break. So looking at you know that ratio of collaborative to individual time and being able to say, okay, oh, maybe do some analysis on um, what's that uh, the ideal ratio, right, to achieve the outcomes that we want for the team. Um, when we look at data that's coming from the, you know, these the EMS or BTT, which I actually include uh, any software that either an organizational network analysis uh, tool or or ONA or ONA uh, capabilities that may be embedded in, say, your HR system or your ERP, the, that is a form of monitoring. It's passively monitoring like who you're in most cases communicating with, interacting with. Right, but you could start to look at that data in people analytics and start to visualize pockets of exclusion. Right, um, so I showed an image earlier on of kind of different ways in which you've got kind of, kind of a core periphery, and then you've got all these individuals on the outside, and some of them are grouped, but some of them are completely out isolated. Right, and that can also get to the heart of um, you know just your overall inclusion efforts. Uh, part of part of the ways, um, in addition to using surveys. Um, so looking at patterns of collaboration um, that are linked to these team level outputs, such as um, innovation. Uh, continued use of surveys, um, but more likely uh, smaller question surveys, right, uh, as opposed to these big lengthy surveys, uh, just these touch bases to really kind of take a pulse of morale. Um, and then the one thing that I, I'm the most excited about and would love to you know, really see people analytics kind of grab by the reins is we now have an opportunity to really conduct um, some, some naturally occurring experiments in the organization. Let's say, for example, if we think about work from home, right? we may be able to actually look at uh, you know, different groups uh, uh, and, and, and how productive they are based on how many days they spend in the week or not, right? Rather than coming up with this kind of blanket um, kind of policy without any evidence, right? Um, there, one financial firm actually looked at how the time of day affected productivity. Um, and so they actually use quantitative business measures like number of claims and uh, number of error rates, and then looked at different individuals and saw that some were more productive in the morning and some were more productive in the afternoon. Right? This might help fuel our, uh, the, the data, provide us the data that we need to make better decisions about how we're going to schedule people. Um, so better, you know, think about um, how frequently what schedule should look like. Um, and you may want to be able to look at, you know, the, where, where employees are actually able to provide you the most benefit. Um, circadian rhythms are different. And I can tell you that I personally, I'm most effective kind of between like 10 and 6, uh, but then again, kind of 8, 9, 10 at night. Um, not so good early in the morning. And it's not about being a morning person. It's just kind of like my brain doesn't really start to work um, until later in the day. 
So it's an opportunity for us um, to really, the people in Lakes Function and organizations to start to look at some of the decisions we're making and policies that we're throwing out um, and whether or not those are really the right things that we should be doing based on the needs of the organization today. And so now is really the time to turn to your people analytics teams to help build and nurture the workforce of the future and provide with a good employee experience. All right, so, Mike, so I, I was a, I managed to leave time for questions. I did it. <laughs> you did, Michael. That was fantastic. That was that was insightful, and um, the uh, the audio issues cleared up cleared up when you turned off your smartphone. So um, that was good. that was great. Um, we've got a few questions here. Um, the first one is from Matthew Corrett, and uh, Matthew asks, "Have you seen companies using the EMS BTT platforms as an overlay?" to their HCM system? Uh, not necessarily as an overlay, but they, you know, they're, I'm gonna throw out a couple of, um, I'm not endorsing anyone, although if you wanna talk offline, I'm happy to, um, but um, companies like Worklytics, um, there's another one called Cassiopeia. So Worklytics will actually um, can, uh, is part of a, it's a Microsoft product, um, not Worklytics, so Microsoft uh, Workforce Analytics, sorry, two different, two different things, right? Um, and, and that one uh, with the Microsoft product, they're, they're actually starting to look at ways to integrate the HR data um, with the, the, the um, activity data. Um, we, we've seen some of the ONA or network analysis functionality show up in HCM systems um, for as early as I'd say 2011, 2012. But I think at that point, um, HR, in or, they weren't, in organizations weren't ready for it. So it was kind of a, a nice kind of cool little like party trick. Um, but now we're starting to see um, that become more prevalent. Um, and then we're seeing, um, you know, vendors in this HCM space that are kind of uh, specialized products uh, that very likely what we'll see is, is some of these players maybe purchasing them um, and finding ways to embed. Uh, but right now where I'm seeing the most innovation are these standalone solutions. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Angie Shea asks, she says, uh, I like working from home, uh, but many work environments do not allow for it, such as manufacturing. How do you create uh, a feeling of fairness between those that have yeah. flexibility and those that do not? Yeah, that's a very tough question. Um, and that is actually also um, something that I, people analytics is going to have to help kind of keep a pulse on, right? It's just this idea of perpetuating a, a us versus them mentality. I um, I don't know if the, I don't necessarily know if I have an answer to that question, but it is something we do need to pay attention to. Um, but not even just the in terms of you know it's a manufacturing environment or a retail where you physically have to be there you have to sell something to the customer. Um, but also, um, even within inside of an organization, right, you've got one, one team that's allowed to work from home, one team that's not. And that's where I think the analysis and people analytics function can help you better understand what really is the right balance to make and, and helping provide the evidence to leadership or team managers around, yeah, I know you prefer to have all your people here, but in reality, is that really necessary? And without the data um, to be able to show that, guess what, employees aren't you know, going to slack off, productivity isn't going to be hurt. In fact, you may see increases in XYZ. Um, 
it's we shouldn't be making these blanket policies. So I don't know how to answer the question about the jobs that just aren't eligible. Um, I think there's a, an opportunity for us to think more about that. Okay, thank you. Um, Kapil Pandey asks about performance evaluation. How, how do you think the sort of increased level of work from home might influence um, performance evaluation and, and, and innovation in terms of performance evaluation? Yeah. And are, are there any studies you could point them to? So I, I know after the fact, I could probably pull some studies um, that I, I read as part of this, uh, part of preparing for this deck uh, presentation. Um, but I, I go back to, you know, we've been on this trend to um, do away with performance reviews. And, you know, we're seeing every day another article, oh, no one's doing that anymore. Um, some companies are just done away with performance reviews altogether, replace them with weekly check-ins. Uh, some companies have also done away with goals. And I think what we're gonna start to see very, very soon, just like we did with the work from home kind of trend, which started, you know, I think Yahoo was one of the, Yahoo, um, Best Buy, uh, IBM obviously was doing way before anybody. Um, but then all of a sudden, all these companies that were known for it said, oh, no, no, we're calling everybody back to the workplace because of X, Y, Z. We found, you know, it, it actually decreases, you know, things that matter to us like innovation, which actually to a certain extent is true. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't come up with other um, ways to encourage innovation and, and, and work around that. Um, but now we're seeing the same thing, right? With the performance, you know, we don't have, as an employee, I don't have a clear way of understanding, am I on the right track? And that weekly check-in is helpful, right? But we shouldn't, how are you going to measure, right, my performance at the end of this, especially if we're, you know, how do you measure collaboration, true collaboration, uh, outside of what, what companies are trying to do, right, which is through number of meetings, right? We really have to start to focus on the output, right? Not so much about how long I worked doing something, um, how long was I on my computer, but when I was on my computer, what did I accomplish? So much more emphasis on the outcomes, the output, um, and, and but we have to balance uh, that kind of team level versus individual contributor level um, in terms of how we um, uh, evaluate performance. So there's a lot more that we don't know um, than we do know, but it is an opportunity, uh, again, for people analytics to come in and try and help you understand that balance. Uh, an, an, uh, an anonymous contributor uh, makes the point that in the unionized work uh, unionized setting workplace monitoring is now a mandatory yeah. topic of, uh, of bargaining yes yep. uh, and another anonymous one do you think that the company that has already decided they aren't going to have an in-person workforce full-time again because of the cost benefits to not having uh, to pay for office space will still be able to work with their employees to find a schedule that works for them that helps the employee perform at their best so I think if I paraphrase, um, for the companies that have decided that they want to go fully remote, right, for cost reasons, is that, yeah. did I get that right? Okay. Yes. Um, well, uh, I, I, I wish that companies weren't making a decision just because it was savings, cost savings. I wish it would be more about the, the people and what's beneficial for people. Um, and so, and again, what is the, the question about that? Uh, so the, the question was, do you think that a company that's already decided they aren't going to have in-person anymore 
um, uh, will, will they still be able to work with their employees to find a schedule that works for them? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I think it's going to vary by industry. It's going to vary by the function within your organization. Um, but if, if, if they decide to go fully remote, um, yeah, obviously. So what I've, been, what I've been seeing from some companies is, look, we're going to be fully remote, right? But if you want to come into the office, we'll support that you know, from time to time. So setting up kind of scheduling for you to come into the office um, it's not that you're, they may shut down a lot of their made, uh, their kind of satellite offices, but you still, if you're near a headquarters, right, uh, encouraging, you know, or providing opportunities for you to go into an office um, if, if, if needed or wanted. Um, but I do think that if you're the type of person, you know, it's kind of like before, right? If you're the type of like I was, where I working from home was really a kind of a, a top three when I was looking for a job. Um, I think we're going to start to see people say, you know what, I don't want to work for that company because 100% of the people work remotely. So it's going to become a, you know, another deciding point for individuals um, about, you know, is that really a company I want to work for? Am I going to thrive there? Um, or do I need to be in an environment where I actually um, can interact with people on a regular basis um, in person? In fact, in the, in the news today, um, I was reading that PricewaterhouseCoopers in London is going to allow its 22,000 employees that move away from the nine to five. And as long as there's a balance of about 60% with, with working right. with colleagues or, or meetings to, to 40%, you'll, you'll be able to come devise your own schedule going forward. Yeah. Which, which you I know what I, yeah. And I like about that is I think about, I've worked for a lot of global companies and you know, um, we tend to be very U.S. If it's a multinational company, that U.S. headquarters or presence, um, we tend to be very U.S. centric and say, okay, well, if you're, let's say, in India, where you're going to have to meet during our hours, right? I think this is going to be an opportunity to provide a little bit more equality, so that um, every once in a while, guess what? You might have to get up at 6 a.m. for a call. Um, so I don't know. I think there's we might, might be able to kind of even out, you know, the experience of employees that may be working in different parts of the world um, as well. So there are a few more questions, but there is this one final question uh, from okay. Anonymous, which, which I will ask you. It's a short one for a short answer. Um, thanks so much for all the insight. Uh, for an HR beginner, what's the best place to start learning HR analytics? Uh, to, to which the answer probably involves come to Albany Law School. Well, I'm not trying to put words in there. Yeah, yeah. If, if that, that individual or anybody would like, uh, send me an email. I actually have a whole deck on what to do to learn about this space um, from all the way from formal education to certifications to thought leaders to conferences. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's a, there's no one path. I mean, nobody wakes up, you know, and at, at least not maybe now, but back when I started, I didn't say, oh, when I grew up, I want to go into HR. Um, and I didn't even know what HR analytics was. Um, so there is no, even when you look at, you know, take a hundred people analytics professionals, uh, you know, just randomly, there's no like one path, right? So it's mixed and varied. Um, but what I can say personally that has helped me kind of fill in the blanks is, is attending sessions like this, you know, looking at certificate programs, if you're not able to go to school full time, um, and, and maybe financially that, you know, so learning little bits here and there, reading on LinkedIn, um, taking Coursera or MOOC, any sort of MOOC, uh, LinkedIn learning, um, it's not about, you know, it's, a, it's, it, it's just, it's like, chunking your learning and learning from different sources in different ways. Um, 
that you know that I do that personally um, in my own development, but I also in my with my students, I provide them kind of different paths of ways that they can uh, try and, and uh, expand their knowledge and understanding of the people analytics space. Michael, I want to thank you. You've been you've been fantastic. Um, the the insight and and the examples that you've gained uh, given have been have been very useful. You've you've covered a whole range of things from the sort of technicalities of people analytics all the way through to the the regulatory and uh, and legal implications. So uh, I want to thank you very much for being a, a great speaker uh, and to everybody who came as well. Thank you for coming. Um, Michael will answer those questions that we weren't able to cover. We will send out a recording uh, as well, but please look out for our next event on April the 14th on uh, uh, the cannabis law, the, the path to legalization in New York. Um, please enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again for coming. Thank you.